Tradition says that Pontius Pilate was born in a military camp in the highlands of Scotland, where his father was stationed with the Roman army. Now the site's only a green field. There's a rock in the midst of it, but from the distance you can't tell if it's a bit of a ruined fort or just a rock. It's probably just a rock. Either way, it's a long way from the misty glens of Scotland to the sun-drenched hills of Palestine. And whether the story is true or not, it does give you one sense of the huge scope of the empire. Because at one time, it did go all the way up into Scotland, although Rome later retreated and built Hadrian's Wall to keep the wild and ungovernable Scots out. The empire extended throughout the Mediterranean world, south into Africa, east into Armenia and the borders of the Black Sea. Rome and her legions held power over vast territories and many and diverse peoples. And Pilate himself had climbed far on the imperial ladder. It was a long way from the remote military post to a governor's palace. And now he is procurator of Judea with power to command the armies and govern in the name of the emperor. For those whom he governs, he is Rome. So it is on this day that the locals have brought him a prisoner, a strange figure. They're so angry that they want him dead, anything less they could deal with themselves, but only Rome could impose the ultimate penalty. They want Jesus dead, and it's clear as we watch that Pilate doesn't really share their outrage. I get the sense that rather he's rather intrigued by this man. What have you done? Are you really a king? Truth, what is that? What is that? Why does Jesus leave the question hanging for us as well as for Pilate? You notice he doesn't answer it. It just hangs there. This great unanswered question, what is truth? And why doesn't he tell us? I mean, don't we want that answer every bit as much as Pilate? There's so many conflicting claims abroad in our world. This one believes this, this one believes that. We talk about fact and alternative fact. They can't all be true. And there is, after all, a difference between truth and error. But what is true? Let that question hang in the air a bit longer, and let me pose another question. Why are we reading this story now? Doesn't it belong in Lent or Holy Week? Why read it now on this Sunday that we call Christ the King? Well, I think the two questions are really linked. If we want to know the truth, then we have to know something of this Jesus and his kingdom. And if we learn something of Jesus and his kingdom, then we will begin to know what truth is. Well, what is truth? Above all, it's the opposite of lies. Truth or falsehood, truth or lies... They stand opposed to each other. And you know, lies are just a symptom of something deeper. Lies are evidence for the presence of evil. Jesus himself calls Satan the father of lies. Scott Peck, you probably remember his book, The Road Less Traveled. He entitled a book on evil, People of the Lie. Evil uses lies to mislead and to get its own way. And one of the lies is that violence has the ultimate power. 
Now, there's no denying that, yes, violence has short-term power. I mean, all you have to do is look at the pictures of the German concentration camps, and you know that violence has power. But ultimate power? What happened to the commandants, to the final solution? Power of violence is quite terrible, but it is limited. Go back to that Roman palace. You know the story. Pilate will hand Jesus over to the soldiers for a beating, and then hoping to avoid making the decision himself, he will ask the crowd, well, do you want Jesus or do you want Barabbas? And in their response to their cries, Pilate will authorize the violence of the cross. And ever after, Sunday after Sunday for over 2,000 years, in churches across the world, as we say the Apostles' Creed with its suffered under Pontius Pilate, he will be named as the author of violence and remembered because of the role he played. That's how we remember Pilate. Now you know that if Pilate had been in real danger, he would have summoned the legions to his defense and blood would have run in the streets. And Jesus knows that. I mean, listen to the distinction he makes between himself and Pilate. If my kingdom were of this world, my followers would be fighting to keep me from being handed over. If I were like you, there would be violence. But I'm not like you. And I'm not like your empire. I'm different. Truth is different. Truth will suffer and even die, but truth will not be violent. Jesus' kingdom will not be violent. It's only one distinction between his kingdom and the kingdoms of the world, but it is an immense distinction. Then there's the lie that power can dominate and impose its own will. You know Rome tried that. I mean, how do you think they managed to build that great empire and hold it together. Domination is the very nature of empire. And we've seen that in the 20th century as both Hitler and Russia moved into surrounding countries and took them over, imposing their own will upon them. But domination always leads to violence, whether it's national, international, or domestic. Try to impose your will on someone else, and violence is always threatening to break out. Part of the task of biblical people, ancient and today, is to try to understand the world through the eyes of faith, not just their own personal world, but the larger historical, political, and economic world. The prophets were masters at it. The rest of us, well, we struggle along a lot less well. The questions that I raise about my own country is whether we are being seduced by dreams of empire. You know, for a long time, we have been the most powerful nation on earth. Russia's power ebbed some years ago, but it's very clear that Putin is trying to reverse that. China continues to emerge as a power, both economically and politically. The Islamic world is really struggling to understand how they will represent themselves to the world. We hear talk of make America great again, but what would that look like? And what is it that makes us great? 
World politics is something that most of us deal with from afar. It's not part of our daily agenda. But the temptation to dominate, to run someone else's life, is before us every day. Recent revolution, revelations of sexual harassment are changing the conversation about how we use power or how it can be misused. The only domination in Jesus' kingdom is that of love. And it's love of others that drives the culture of that kingdom. It's the motor. And that's what sets Jesus apart and his kingship apart from Pilate and all the others. Pilate's way, Rome's way, the way of violence and domination and lies, or Jesus' way of love and respect and truth. It's a pretty stark contrast. And if you and I could have stood in that courtroom and watched without the hindsight of 2,000 years, I suspect we would have been pretty sure that Pilate's way was the more powerful. Quite literally, he held Jesus' life in his hands. How could he possibly know that Jesus held his life in his hands? Pilate did know he didn't want to make the choice. He wanted so much to just wash his hands of the whole thing. He wanted to find a middle ground, but there was none. Not for him, and frankly, not for us. We choose the kind of king who will rule our lives. The lies of power and dominance and violence or truth. It's not a comfortable truth. It's found on the cross, in the suffering, in the dying. And the world will say, that's a really foolish thing. And in their eyes, it is. But they don't know the truth. And their scoffing is a lie. Those who know the truth will indeed listen to the voice of the one who speaks nothing but truth. Nothing but truth. Amen.